Well, it's uh, Father's Day weekend. You know, uh, Father's Day doesn't get nearly the billing and the profile that Mother's Day does. You're aware of that, right? Florists don't get nearly as much business. Dads aren't receiving a lot of flowers, let me tell you. Hallmark doesn't do as well. There aren't nearly as many cards given to fathers, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, attendance in church usually isn't as great on Father's Day as it is on Mother's Day. Mother's Day is typically one of the high water marks of attendance. And in our church services on Mother's Day, we usually get all nostalgic and teary-eyed as we give tribute and honor to dear old mom and we think about her sacrifice and all she did. But, but quite honestly, in a lot of churches on Father's Day, dads feel more kind of chastised for not being better dads. And they may even walk out of the church service feeling a little bit beaten down and discouraged. One father walked out of church after a Father's Day service and he said, man, if they call that Father's Day... They ought to call the first season of ducks, duck season, Ducks Day. You know what I'm saying? And we feel really, really discouraged sometimes. The telephone companies report statistics about each of the major holidays. I'm sure it won't surprise you to know Father's Day is not at the top of the list. Most telephone companies say that Mother's Day is the number one day for business, followed by Christmas, and then Father's Day is a distant third. Someone pointed out if you look up the word father in the dictionary, it comes just before fatigued and just after fathead, okay? <laughs> so, you know... Um, with all the media portrayals, of negativity about dads, we often don't give tribute to the fathers who are really good ones. So that's what I want to do today. I want to give tribute to fathers by looking at an amazing father in the Bible. Let's look at the story of the prodigal son. Now here's a father who really did a lot of things right. In fact, to be honest, he was perfect because in this story, he represents God the Father. Now, let's be crystal clear. There are no perfect earthly fathers. But no matter what your relationship with your dad was like, chances are, if it had any good things about it, your dad probably exhibited some, at least, of these characteristics of this father in Jesus' parable. And these are some of the characteristics that you ought to be thankful for in your dad, whether he's still alive or deceased sometime back. And if you are a dad, these are some of the very characteristics that you probably want to aspire by God's power to develop in your own life. So let's get started. Let's look at some of the characteristics of the prodigal son's father. First, I want you to see that he provided for the basic needs of his family. It's interesting to me that when you read this classic story, boy, it sure seems that this family was pretty well, well off. I mean, think about it. There was an estate with hired servants, 
I mean, this dad had additional robes and rings. He had the ability to supply this fattened calf. Uh, He had musicians he could call on to throw a spontaneous party. Uh, The younger of the two sons, if there were only two sons in a family, would normally get about one-third of the inheritance. But isn't it interesting that whatever it was this son received, the younger one, it was enough to allow him to live in this extravagant lifestyle for a period of time. So this father has provided well for his family, even though his family was far from perfect. Now, in our culture, both moms and dads often tag-team paying the bills, and that's, that's great. But many dads feel this huge responsibility to help provide for the basic needs of the family. 1 Timothy chapter 5 reads, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. Scripture clearly puts this responsibility at the feet of the parents, and in most cultures, particularly at the feet of the dad. I remember the feeling I had when Debbie and I had our first child. There's all the excitement of this birth. You've never been here before. You've never done this before. Wow, what is this going to be like? You're a parent for the first time. And I'll never forget, we were living uh, just up the road in Latham Village in a little one-bedroom apartment at the time. It was one of the cheapest things we could find. And I'll never forget bringing little Allie home, this little peanut, about seven pounds home, in a car seat and carrying her inside the apartment. I'll never forget this. It's etched in my mind. And we came in and we kind of gently put that car seat down in the, on the floor and she's there in it looking all gorgeous. And I'll never forget it. We both just burst out crying. And we were crying partially out of gratitude to God for a healthy baby and a, and a safe birth and a mom doing well. We were, we, were, we were also just grateful to God for the privilege of being parents. But I was crying in part because I thought, wow, this is a lot of responsibility. I mean, this little person, her very life now hinges upon what we do. We've got to take care of her. We've got to watch out for her. And the responsibility felt, to be honest, a bit overwhelming. And most fathers feel that crush of responsibility to provide. It's a sobering thought to look at that tiny infant in the crib and realize this little being is almost totally dependent upon us for the basic necessities of life. It's not only a sobering thought, frankly, it's a costly one. Have you looked at the statistics for what it takes to raise children these days? It's staggering. Each year, the U.S. Department of Agriculture estimates how much it costs to raise a child. And the latest stats that I could get a hold of through my uh, wonderful assistant go back to about 2013, 2014. But the Consumer Expenditure Survey This government agency concludes that American parents earning $60,000 or more spend on average 
$17,185 a year on a child up to two years old. That's if there's two children in the family. If there's three or more children, that number's a little less. If there's only one child, the number is a little more. But contrary to what some parents believe, newborns are not the most expensive. That's not the costliest season. Age 15 to 17, kids cost their parents on average $20,335 per year. And if you add up all the department's figures for each age, it brings the total cost of raising one child from cradle to age 17, get this, $326,580. That includes no college cost whatsoever. If you add four years of college costs to that, you can add an additional $350,000 according to the stats from the college board. You can add it to those figures. What I'm saying to you folks is that your dad could have bought a yacht instead of having you. It is expensive to have children. That's why someone described a father as a man who carries photographs in his wallet where his money used to be, okay? Have you ever just expressed thanks to your dad for all of the expenses that he paid for you? Now would be a good time. My father has been deceased for 36 years now. And... Uh, my dad was of a different generation. I mean, he was, he was born in 1910, if you can believe that. He was 50 years old when I was born. My mother was 40 years old. In fact, my mother describes me, these are her words now, as an oops baby, okay? I had, she had six children, three boys, three girls, seemed kind of neat, six kids. Thought she was done, she said, having children. And here, there's an oops baby, and she cried when she found out she was pregnant with me. These are all fun facts from the Keener family here. She literally cried when she found out she was pregnant with me. She had her oldest daughter, my older sister, Olene, was pregnant with her first child, okay? And my mother was pregnant with me. So she just thought that's crazy, and she was distraught about that. So it's a different generation. But my dad was born in 1910, and, and he was one of these dads, and I've talked to many of you from that generation who had dads from that generation. My dad never said those three words, I love you, to me. Now, I, I don't think I'm emotionally scarred for life because of that, but I, I sure wish that he had said those words. But here's the deal. He didn't really have to say them, because he demonstrated it every single day. By getting up at 5 o'clock or earlier and working that farm. Here's a man with a 6th grade education. Eking out a living, doing the best he can, providing for his seven children. And if your dad helped provide for those expenses for you, then this would sure be a good time to say, thank you, dad. Thank you for all the sacrifices you made so that I could grow up healthy and strong. 
A second thing I want you to notice about this dad is that he was generous beyond what could be reasonably expected of him. And many dads are that way. Verse 11 reads, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, this was highly unusual for a dad to be that generous. Can you imagine a kid today coming to his dad and saying gruffly, old man, I've done some calculating, and I know that I'm probably going to get at least a couple hundred thousand when you kick off, and I hope it's kind of early, to be honest. I want my money now. That would be absurd for that to happen. One of the footnotes in my NIV study Bible said that a father in the first century might actually convey to his sons what the inheritance would be for them, but he wouldn't actually give it at that time. He would continue retaining ownership himself. So for this dad to do what he did, to give this younger son his portion upon his request was very magnanimous on the part of this father. Now, we've already talked about how expensive it is to have children and to raise them in this culture. But the truth is, those statistics don't even begin to touch on all the cost related to child rape. Because there's the grass in the yard where you play athletics that gets killed, where your dad is constantly patching and sowing and watering, trying to get it growing again. There's all the errands that have to be run, all the emotional freight of trying to watch you grow up and ensure that you grow up healthy, strong. And hopefully, if your dad's a Christian, he wants you to grow up following the Lord and embracing those Christian values. There's all those expenses of computers and the lunch money that you lose over and over again and all the friends that you bring around home, which he doesn't begrudge, but it, it honestly gets expensive. A father answered his son's letter from college. I'm enclosing the $10 you requested. Incidentally, 10 is spelled with one zero, not two. <laughs> A lot of dads are generous, not only with money, but with their time. I'm encouraged today when I see so many young dads at Grace Fellowship, at our various campuses, who really have said, look, maybe I didn't get from my dad the emotional support I needed or all the time or encouragement, but I'm going to change that. For my children, I'm going to be there for them all I can. And so I, I see young dads who are doing a magnificent job, quite frankly, being at their children's ball games, being at those important school events, being at important times in their life. And that often, hear me, that often goes unnoticed. The humorous writer Irma Bombeck wrote, Daddy just didn't know how to show love. It was mom who held the family together. He just went to work every day, came home, she'd have a list of sins we'd committed, and he'd give us what's for about them. I, I broke my leg once on the swing set, and it was mom who held me in her arms all the way to the hospital. Dad pulled the car right up to the door of the emergency ward, and 
When they asked him to move it because that space was reserved for emergency vehicles only, he shouted, what do you think this is, a tour bus? Mom carried me in. It seems all my life, Dad was parking the car someplace and coming in wet or half frozen. My mom never left me for a moment, though. Dad was always sort of out of place. At birthday parties, he just busied himself blowing up balloons and setting up tables and and running errands. But it was mom who carried in the cake with the candles on it for me to blow out. I remember when mom told him to teach me how to ride a bicycle. Ah. I told him not to let go, but he said it was time, and I fell. Mom ran to pick me up, but he waved her off. I was so mad. I showed him, got right back on that bike and rode it myself. He didn't even feel embarrassed. He just smiled. When I went to college, he was fiddling with, what else? The luggage and the boxes. Mama sat down and told me everything would be all right. She did all the writing. He just sent checks and a little note about how great his lawn looked now that I wasn't playing football on it anymore. Whenever I called home, he acted like he wanted to talk, but he always said, I'll get your mother. When I got married, it was mom who got all choked up and cried. Dad just blew his nose loudly and left the room. All my life, he said, where are you going? What time are you coming home? You got gas in the car? Who's going to be there? No, you can't go. Not mom. She just loved me. But daddy? He just didn't know how to show love. Unless. Is it possible he showed it and I didn't recognize it? And maybe, maybe that's the case with you. Maybe your dad wasn't great at verbalizing love, but maybe you need to look back and see if there's some indications there that you've missed. Maybe it's time for you to say, thank you, Dad, for your generosity. Third thing I notice about this amazing father is that he gave his son space Freedom whenever it was appropriate. Verse 13 reads, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. In other words, this father released his son when it was time to do so. Now, when I was a much younger man, I used to read this story, and I would kind of think in my mind, you know, that, that father of that prodigal, boy, I think he did that wrong. I I think he was just too lenient. I think he didn't put his foot down enough. I I think he was too permissive as a dad. He should have confronted his younger son and said, son, you're not even close to ready to leave. And I think, wow, he was way too lenient. But you know what? My attitude has changed. I suspect that he looked at a combination of his son's rebellious spirit as well as his age, and he concluded, you know what? It's time for this boy to be released for his own good as well as for the good of the family. So the father gave his son room to make his own choices even though he made some very bad ones. 
and a lot of people are going to be wounded. But there was really no better option. Now, you know, one of the most difficult tasks that every father faces is releasing the child and giving them wings. But you know, fathers instinctively want to control. They instinctively want to protect their children. It's so difficult to begin to release them, whether it's letting them ride that two-wheel bike without training wheels for the first time or sending them off to school on the first day or walking them down the aisle, walking the daughter down the aisle. It's hard. It, it's hard to release. It's, it's a tough task. Gary Ezzo suggested there are four periods that parents pass through with their children, and each is a progressive step in releasing. The first stage is from age one to five. He calls it discipline, the stage of discipline. That's where moms and dads are just uh, asserting the right to rule and to speak into the child's life and, and so on. Basically, it's a time where they learn appropriate discipline or under control. The second phase is training. That's age 6 to 12. The parent is compared to a trainer working with an athlete every day in different settings. And the trainer is able to stop and make adjustments and corrections showing how it's to be properly done. But the third phrase, phase, as I said, is coaching. And this is all the teenage years. And this is very different. The parents are now on the sidelines kind of trying to coach, but the child is out there having to make many impromptu plays in this game of life. And the parents can no longer stop the game to show how it's properly done. They can only speak into the child's life at those appropriate timeouts. And the final phase is friendship, age 20 and beyond. This is a great new season of life when parents release the children totally and don't expect to correct them anymore, but just to have a wise and nurturing friendship. Hopefully all children become adults and become our friends, but the problem arises when this progression gets out of order. Can I... Can I share with you one of the tragic mistakes I see today? And again, I believe that so many of our young parents are doing an amazing job. But here's a tragedy that I see, and it usually leads to disastrous results. If the parents fail to appropriately discipline their children in the early days, and the children are just running amok, and they're wild, and, and other adults really don't enjoy being around them much, if you know what I mean, because even though they're adorable in one sense, they're just so crazy, out of control, it's just not enjoyable and then the parents think, well, well, we're just giving them their space. We're just letting them express themselves and so on and so forth. But then as the, that same child hits the teenage years and begins to grow up a little bit, oh my goodness, they start seeing behaviors that freak them out as parents. And then suddenly they begin to put the clamps down at the very season when if proper training had occurred, they should be releasing the child more in a, tr a total trust relationship. Instead, they're clamping down out of panic. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? Because they're not seeing the results they had hoped for 
And you know the result of that. The child almost always rebels even more. Like, my goodness, what are you doing? I've been able to do what I want all my life. <laughs> How is that changing now? And you can understand while the child is confused. So if you had a father, if you had a father who got that progression right and who honestly provided appropriate freedom and releasing at the appropriate age, then boy, this sure would be a good time. It sure would be a good time just to make a point of saying, thank you, Dad, for giving me the freedom you did. The fourth thing I want you to notice is that this father was willing to forgive a serious offense and move on. And in every parent-child relationship, there comes a moment when the issue of forgiveness has to be addressed. Verse 14 reads, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. He's hungry now for the very first time. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, you may be aware that in the Jewish culture, that was about the lowest job that a young Jewish man could ever have. Pigs were considered an unclean animal. And here, he's actually spending his days feeding these animals. Maybe some miserable minimum wage job today would be slightly equivalent to what he's going through. He longed to fill his stomach, verse 16 says, with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know, when famine comes, generosity shrivels up. Have you noticed that? You ask older people who went through the Depression or really hard times, boy, it gets tight. Nobody's willing to give you much. When he came to his senses, I love that phrase, that's actually one of my favorite phrases in this story because, boy, many of us could point to the point in our lives when that happened, right, to us. When God kind of moved back the veil of blindness that we were living under and we came to our senses. And up to this point, this young man had been living as a senseless fool. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. This is dumb. I left home because I didn't like my father's rules and structure. And here I am, a slave to a total stranger. This is ridiculous. He comes to his senses. <laughs> I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, he's come to an appropriate humility now. Make me like one of your hired men. You remember when he left home, he was saying, give me, give me, give me. And now he humbly says, make me a servant. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, you know what impresses me about this dad? He could have given this kid a speech. You know what I'm talking about? Where have you been? Boy, you look impressive, dude. 
I mean, your eyes are bloodshot, your hair's all awry, your clothes are disheveled. I mean, what, what kind of life have you been living? Can you imagine the speech he could have given the son? You broke your mother's heart and mine. She cried for two months every single night when you left. And now, when we've just about gotten over it, just about gotten you off of our minds, now you show up? What? I mean, what are you, what are you thinking? Did, are you coming back thinking that maybe you can get even more money to go and blow? I mean, do you want us to really just kind of trust you again here? The trust and relationship has been breached, man. Can you imagine the speech this father could have given? But you know what? Instead of telling him he was an embarrassment, instead of telling him what a failure he was and all that, we don't hear any of that from this father. By the way, as I mentioned last weekend, that's what makes Christianity so radically different from every other religion. It's this little thing, this little five-letter word called grace. I hope we all get that. And man, I'll tell you, when you are like this prodigal and you're in the pig pen of life, just saying, and you finally come to your senses, what you need is not a lecture. You need that five-letter word. You need some grace. In your life, and that's what God, our Heavenly Father, provides. This dad is so special. This is amazing. He doesn't even wait for his son to get there, he runs to him. That is, that was uh, considered improper, really. Father was kind of throwing his dignity to the wind as he runs. He threw his arms around him, he absorbed all the hurt in himself. He doesn't try to make his son pay. Verse 21 The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Apparently the kid doesn't even have any shoes. I mean, he is really down and out. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's put some meat back on this boy's bones here. He looks emaciated. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, I've heard a lot of your, for many of you, I've heard your story. And and, and I know and you know that that some of you have been forgiven a lot by your earthly dad. Maybe you went to college and spent a bunch of money on an education that you never really got because, frankly, you were just partying the whole time. And your parents paid for all that. Or maybe you had an unwanted pregnancy, or maybe you had a DUI, or maybe you got thrown in jail, or maybe you became somewhat of an embarrassment at some season in your life. You, you, you know how the stories go. Most people at one time in their life goes through some sort of prodigal experience. And maybe your dead dad bailed you out of trouble, and maybe his love just kept coming regardless And if you see that reflection of this prodigal's father in your earthly dad, 
All I'm saying is maybe it's high time to say thank you, Dad. Thank you, Dad, for the grace that you showed me when I needed it the most. The last thing I want you to notice about this dad is that he loved his sons equally even though he treated them differently. You know one of the greatest fallacies I've heard in parenting? I, I, I hear people say this phrase in many different ways. Well, you know, you've got to treat all your kids equally now. You know that, right? You've got to treat all your kids equally. No, you don't. In fact, that's the dumbest thing you will ever do as a parent. Listen to me now. If you treat all your kids the same. Now, hear me. You love them equally, but the way you treat them, the way you relate to them, the way you, even the way you give guidelines and, and parameters should be different because they're different. They are very different. They have different aptitudes and giftings and personalities and one approach is not going to work for you. You don't treat them all the same. You treat them differently, but you love them the same. And you love them equally. And that is a fine art as a parent to get that down. Verse 25 reads, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Boy, these two sons were very different, weren't they? As is typical often, not always, but often of older, the older sibling. He was more dutiful. He stayed home. He, he kind of stayed with the plan, if you will. Whereas this younger son had this wild kind of adventurous spirit and was a bit of a rebel. And so naturally when the younger one returns, the older brother is just ticked. I mean, he is beside himself. He's probably wondering, is the is my part of the estate now threatened by his return? So he pouts and refuses to join the celebration. It's kind of sad, really. It's kind of sad because at, at the, one of his dad's happiest moments in life, he's putting a damper on it with his attitude. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who happens to be his brother, of course, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. Now, by the way, how did he know what the boy was doing out there? <laughs> prostitutes are never mentioned here. Maybe, maybe he's thinking, well, I know what I'd be doing if I, if I was out there. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This father could not possibly treat both of these sons the same way because the situation was so different. And maybe, maybe you ought to be grateful to a father 
who treated you uniquely, even though he loved you the same way he loved your siblings. And if that's the case, maybe it's high time that you said thank you. Well, as we quickly wrap up today, I want to suggest some ways that you can show appreciation to your dad. As I mentioned, my father died 36 years ago. I'll never forget the evening I got the word. I was a junior in college. A few days earlier, I had turned 20 years old. And even though I'd spent a lot of time working alongside my father growing up on the farm, we spent days together hoeing corn out in a field or baling hay or fixing fences or working with the cattle or the hogs. And we spent time hunting together and fishing together, great memories. We were very different in the sense my father was not a person of faith. And so I'd become a Christian at the age of 13 and my life had begun to go a very different direction and so there, there wasn't a lot of common ground really anymore between myself and my father. And the communication wasn't spectacular either. And so when I got, I'd been playing basketball for three hours that night. So they'd been trying to get a hold of me. I was away over in the gym playing ball. I came back uh, all sweaty and tired, ready to shower and spend some time with some friends. And, and I got this call. And heard that my father had passed away, had a heart attack while he was hunting. And so I began to make plans to go home. And I'll never forget that five and a half hour drive home. Boy, it was a tearful one. And I just, I think I cried virtually the whole way home. And I've reflected on that since then. And uh, thought about all the reasons why that was so emotional to me. Actually, far more emotional than the loss of my mother just a few years ago, even though I was so much closer to her. And you know what I think one of the reasons is that it was so painful when my father died? I think it's because there are so many things, even at the age of 20, that I'd come to realize he did well in my life. So many investments he had made in me that I, I didn't appreciate when I was a little bit younger, but now I was finally beginning to realize my dad knew a whole lot more than I thought. And you know what? I think I was just devastated that I never really got a chance to say thank you, Dad, and to really show that appreciation. So all I'm saying to you is, if, if you've never done that, if you've never had that chance, don't live with regret about that. Listen, today's a great day to do that. So if you're worshiping with your father today, maybe, maybe he's in church with you. That is an awesome thing to do. What a moment. If you're a younger child, maybe you should write your dad a thank you note and then go sit with him and chat with him. Or if you're a teenager, maybe you can write your dad a personal note and then go and tease him about his baldness or how chubby he is or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Just show some affection. If he wants to go on a ride to Vermont, occasionally say, yeah, dad, I'd love to go along with you. And try to be a part of that conversation. Get out of your comfort zone if you need to, but do your best to say thank you to your father. Hey, you know another way you can say thank you? Get along with your brothers and sisters. <laughs> Most dads I know, man, if they're Christian, they want you to love God, but they want you to love others, starting with your siblings. 
So when there's bickering and fighting and discord in the home, it's not really honoring to dad. Get along. Get along. Swallow your pride every now and then. Get along with your siblings. I think every father would say that means a lot. But here's the best way to say thank you. You know what the best way is? If your dad is a Jesus follower, the best way to say thank you to your dad is to honor his values and be a Jesus follower too. Debbie and I had a little speech for our children. I've mentioned it to you before. And I'll give you the abbreviated version. It went something like this. Kids, we hope you grow up and have a great life. We hope you have plenty of money so that you don't have too many temptations, but, but not so little you're worried all the time about paying bills. And you know what? We hope if God has a marriage partner for you that you find that person and just have a great life together. We hope you get a great education because it sure does help in this world. And we hope you find a vocation that's fulfilling for you, yada, yada, yada. And we went on and on. But he said, but kids, if none of those things happen, your mom and I, here's the one thing we want for you more than anyone, anything else. We want to be with you in heaven one day. That trumps everything. And if your dad is a Christian, he wants that same thing for you. Austin Sorensen said, a child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. And if your father exhibited even some of these characteristics, it's high time that you said, thank you, Dad. Father, we thank you that you are the perfect father. You have been so gracious to us. You've given us so much freedom and so many blessings. Your wealth abounds to us. You've been so gracious. And we thank you for that, for your amazing forgiveness and grace. And help those of us who are dads, help us to show more and more the kind of character that you, our heavenly Father, have. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, the